0: Well, good morning, church family. I hope you're doing well. Happy Sunday to you. And uh, so honored that you would take time to be with us this morning. If you're new here, welcome. My name is Brian Wood. I'm one of the lead pastors here at Seven Cities Church. And uh, man, you come at a right time. Uh, We are continuing into our series um, in the book of James called Follow Me. And if you've missed any of those, I would encourage you to come back uh, to our YouTube channel or you can listen uh, in audio form on our podcast to catch up. Um, You're not going to necessarily miss anything today uh, if you haven't heard those. They are obviously connected because we're going through the book of James, but they're all just kind of isolated. James does build each week uh, or I guess each chapter, each verse. He kind of builds and and continues into uh, accomplishing his goal for writing this letter. But uh, before we jump in, I want to just remind you or share, maybe you haven't seen it for the first time. Uh, some very exciting news. We have spent uh, quite a few, uh, I, I would say, months, I mean, really, honestly, since we started the church, but, uh, but really as of recent over the summer, uh, just really trying to drive in and, and really focus and, and, and align and prioritize and identify who God has called us to be uh, as Seven Cities Church, meaning what is our vision? Where are we headed? What are we trying to accomplish and we were able to share uh, that in person a couple weeks ago and uh, we'd love to be able to share that with you there's a video on, on Facebook and Instagram that kind of briefly uh, just gives that vision in a, in, a, in a snapshot in a I guess in a word play if you will an elevator pitch where we just put it all together obviously details within those things but part of that vision as we get ready to continue to move forward and grow into all that God has for us. Uh, We are moving, meaning our in-person service that meets in Portsmouth, we are moving to Harborview, uh, the movie theater there, back behind Buffalo Wild Wings, where the old Harris Teeter used to be. Uh, There's a movie theater there, and we are moving January the 8th, and so uh, we are so excited. Service is going to be at 10 o'clock as usual. uh, We do expect and hope and pray and feel as if uh, we're going to shift to two services Um, hopefully within a few weeks after getting there. And so the times may change just a little bit. I'll also let you know we're talking through and trying to finalize the plans for uh, what our online service is going to look like. Our hope, our prayer, our dream, our goal is to get to a place to where uh, we can stream from the actual live service just to create a a, a different dynamic, uh, bring a little more energy and, and live type worship feel uh, on our online service, and so we're going to be making some changes there. We'll let you know uh, what exactly that's going to look like as we continue to uh, to fine comb all of the details with this move. But we are so excited, and I would love for you to join us if you haven't been in person. Uh, come see us, man. Let's worship together. It's not about us; it's about all of us as a family coming together in unity, corporately worshiping the king of kings and the lord of lords together and we couldn't be more excited and so i'm excited about today i'll tell you it's a it's a different type of message for me you know i like to just rear back and, and let it rip uh, but we're going to kind of do a little more teaching today and i'll explain um, what that means and what that looks like here in a moment but i want to start with a few pictures on screen hopefully they'll come across uh, on a screen rather than in person, uh, or I guess just as good as I expect it to to come out in person. Hopefully you can see it on the screen, but I want to kind of get our minds going, get our thoughts going uh, on this thought that I want to teach on today, on this thought that I see uh, in James chapter two, where we are, that James is trying to, uh, to write and focus on in this passage. And here is the first picture. Tell me uh, what kind of fruit tree is this? Come on, I can hear you. Right, apple tree, right? It's an apple tree. All right, what about this one right here? That one is an orange tree, right? All right, and then the third one, what is this one? Banana tree. Actually, it's a plantain. No, I'm just kidding. It's banana tree, right? Okay, how do you know? How do you know this is a banana tree? How do you know the other one is an orange tree? How do you know the first one was an apple tree, right? It's pretty obvious because you see the fruit on the tree. You see bananas right here. You see apples. You see oranges, and there's no such thing as a healthy living fruit tree that doesn't produce fruit, right? Like, you're not going to see a healthy banana tree that doesn't have bananas on it. You're not going to see a healthy orange tree that doesn't have an orange on it or an apple on it. Like, like you're, you're going to see fruit... From the fruit tree that it actually is. Now, granted, there's seasons where uh, it, it's, there's still fruit there. You may not physically see it, but the growth process is taking place, and and all the things that happen scientifically in the life of a of a fruit tree through the winter and through the non harvest season. But 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 the principle here is that a fruit tree is going to produce the fruit that it actually is. There's no such thing as a healthy fruit tree not producing fruit. Now, granted, there are going to be seasons where we get, uh, you know, some some drought, we don't get enough rain, or maybe bugs get in a tree, or maybe a storm comes at the early phases and it blows off uh, a lot of the small fruit and it doesn't actually produce like it did the year before. There are going to be seasons where where the fruit may be different from the previous season, where the harvest is good one year, maybe not so much. But overall, the principle here is that a fruit tree will produce fruit. There's no such thing of that not taking place. And so that's the thought that I have for us today that I think James is pounding in in this passage, is that there is no such thing. Well, no such thing as what? Well, we're going to be in James chapter 2, I'm going to read the whole passage to you because it's a lot. I'm not going to put it on the screen in person. We've had these uh, really cool little little Bible journals. This is the Book of James, uh, just in one little journal, and it's got blank pages. I don't think you can see it uh, because of the light, but but basically, you got passage, you got verses on one side, you got a blank sheet on the other, and so we've been encouraging our people in person to take notes, and so that's what I'll be teaching from today. But if you have your Bible, uh, any translation of it, most Bibles have headings, and, uh, and sometimes those are good, and sometimes I like to, to ignore them and try to, try to read it on my own and, 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 and see things with a with fresh eye, because as soon as you see a heading, you're obviously going to start thinking that way. But this heading is, is absolutely uh, the core, the theme of what James is saying. And so the heading says, faith without works is dead. And so what James is saying is there's no such thing as a true saving faith without good works. There's no such thing as a true saving faith without fruit that is visible on the outside. All right, we're going to dive into that. Let's read this passage and we'll take off. Starting in verse 14, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that same, can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed, lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things they need for their body, what good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from works and I'll show you my faith by my works. This is a lot. There's a lot here to cover, and I'm going to try my best to, to teach on this um, the best way I can in the, in, the, in the time frame that we have. I would encourage you to study this on your own as well. But what James is saying, he's saying faith without works is dead. There's no such thing as a true faith without good works, and he begins to kind of explain some of this and break some of this down. And, and there's a couple key things that I want to pull out. The first one is he uses the story of Abraham and he uses the story of Rahab. Both were were acting in faith. They were revealing their faith by their works. If you don't know those accounts, those stories, I would encourage you to go back and, and study those. But we see this faith being displayed, this faith being lived out, this faith being revealed by their actions. Another key part in this is, is James is talking about the demons, the, the, the demons that, that are in the world. He's saying, look, you, you, you want to talk about a demon, you believe that, that God is one. Yes, yeah, so do the demons. So do those who are against God. So do those who are an enemy of God. They believe in God. They believe there is a God. But it's all up here. It's all head knowledge. And what he's saying is that if you have faith, if you have just this the belief that, that God is real, Jesus is real, and it's all in your head and it's not in your heart, you are no different than the demons. He's saying that, that faith is not just knowledge. Knowledge goes from from brain to heart, and then heart leads into action, meaning our faith that is true, true salvation that has taken place in our heart, it now leads us to a place of good works because there's no such thing as faith without works. Your faith without works is dead. And so when I told you that, I wanted to kind of do this a little differently today, a little bit out of my, uh, my norm, probably a little bit out of my comfort zone if I'm being transparent. It's because I could stand up here for 30 minutes or however long the Lord leads me to talk today and just start pounding in on what it looks like to have good works. What does it look like for you to have fruit on the outside? What does it look like for you to walk like Jesus, talk like Jesus, act like Jesus? And I would... Assume, if I can safely, that most of you watching this believe that. You believe that your life should reflect Christ. You believe that everything about you should should strive and and have a purpose to glorify and honor God and that when people see you, that that you represent Christ. I believe that that we can all agree on that. I think the danger, if I was to follow that route and just rear back and let it rip on pounding that in. The danger is that you would leave this message and you would walk away and most of your focus would be on the outside, meaning you would go if you were challenged and attempting to to apply what we're teaching today from the truth of God's word, you would start to focus on behavior modification. You would start to focus on, on things that are on the outside. But I want you to know that that what's on the outside is birthed and rooted on what's on the inside. And so I want to go there today. I want to focus there. And I believe that in order for us to understand this or the way that we see this and perceive this and believe this and live this out is based off some things that are underneath the surface. And I could go a couple different ways with this, but one of the major ones that I believe is that in order to understand what James is saying here, there are some doctrines that we have to understand and look at in the, in the biblically correct way for us to understand this, what James is teaching us, in the biblically correct way. All right? So... Let me just give you a quick definition of what doctrine is, because maybe you're like, I don't know what doctrine even is. It's a belief or set of beliefs held and taught by the church, okay? So, so I'll just give you a few examples. There's the doctrine of salvation, what you believe in the beliefs that is taught in the church from God's word about salvation, the doctrine of the Trinity—Father, Son, Holy Spirit—that's that's a doctrine. The doctrine of of uh, you know loving your neighbor. The doctrine of uh, eternal security. The do, like I could go on. It's 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 basically this belief system that's built. Not just from one verse, but through the entire context from Genesis to Revelation, all throughout Scripture, pieces that are pulled together to build a doctrine that is focused on one specific thing, okay? So, what I want to do is basically identify and potentially break down some bad doctrine that you and I may have. And maybe you don't. So I, uh, if you don't, that's great. I'll just go ahead and and give it to you as a precursor or a pre-warning to say, hey, don't go this wa- this route. Don't don't believe this bad doctrine because it's going to cause other problems in the way that you see and view and live out Scripture. And so I got three bad doctrines that I want to break down today. And at the end, at the end, I'll, I'll wrap all of this together and hopefully give you a challenge based off of this text today. All right, we're gonna start kind of way back. We're going to take a couple steps back away from the context of this passage. And bad doctrine number one is our views on salvation. Our views on salvation. You say, well, what do you mean? Well, there are a plethora of of views slash doctrines, if you will, that have been built by people, scholars, theologians, churches that are not accurate. And I could tell you probably, I don't know, eight, nine, ten of them. The The way this salvation takes place. How do you get saved? What happens at salvation? What happens after salvation? Like all of these things that are built into it. And instead of wasting your time into going to all the ones that are wrong, I want to just go ahead and share with you from God's Word the true biblical doctrine of what salvation looks like. Because if you don't understand this part, you'll never understand what James is trying to say in regards to faith without works is dead. There's no such thing as a true saving faith in Jesus that doesn't produce fruit, okay? So I'm gonna, I'm, I, I have a, a philosophy that I was taught in seminary, never build doctrine off of one verse, meaning you can't just take one verse and say, yep, I believe that. I, I'm going to build it up, and I'm going to show you why throughout this message, but Saying that, I don't want to give you 30 different passages on, on these doctrines that we're talking about today. And so I am only going to use a few passages. Um, there is more. If you want more, reach out to me. I'd love to talk to uh, talk through any of this with you, help you uh, go through this and, and get a better understanding. But let's just basically start at the very beginning. What is salvation and how is, does it take place and, and what does it even mean, all right? Well, Ephesians chapter two is a great place to start. And it says this, you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you, in once, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, okay? You must first understand what this means about you. And it goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, the fall of man, where sin enters into the world. Now, because of that, when you and I are born physically into this earth, we are born into sin. We are sinners. What does sin do? It separates us from God. And what Paul is saying is that when you are born as a sinner, you are spiritually dead. Your heart is not alive. Obviously, it's alive physically. It's beating. It's giving you life as you stand here and, and, and I I speak to you and you're, you're receiving this. You're watching this. Like you're, you're physically alive, but you are dead in the trespasses and sins as you enter into this world. And because of that, you're going to follow the course of the world. You're going to follow the prince of the power of the air, which is the enemy. And and, and you're going to follow the things that lead to disobedience, like against God. So we're born sinners. We're, We're born spiritually dead. And he goes on. And he says, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh. So he's talking to believers here, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind and were by nature children of wrath. So he's saying on your own, because your heart is spiritually dead, you are going to live in a way that pleases the flesh and flesh doesn't please God. You're gonna live in a way that is inundated and centered around the dead sinful heart that you have without Christ because you're dead in your trespasses. And so he says, and like the rest of mankind, basically, we're all this way. And then he goes on, he says, but God, somebody say, but God, come on, I love when I see that. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses. So he reminds us again, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Let me back up. Remember, we're dead. We're following the the flesh. We're children of wrath. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead, he made us alive. So this is saying that God is the one who regenerates our heart. We are dead. We are spiritually dead. Our hearts are dead. But it's because of him that we are made alive in Christ. Most of you know I'm a nurse. I spent many years in an emergency department, a trauma room, and I've been a part of hundreds of, of 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 what we call codes someone who has died whether it's medically whether it's uh traumatic whatever it may be that they come in and their heart is physically not beating and i have never seen a heart not just i have never seen a heart start beating on its own without the help of of, of our team and myself We would go in and we would start to resuscitate and do CPR and do all of these measures to get the heart beating again. Meaning, a dead person could not bring themselves back to life. And you have to understand this because this is what Ephesians is saying. You're spiritually dead. You can't do anything on your own, but God, because He loved us so much, even in our trespasses, even in our sin, even when we were spiritually dead, because of the love and the mercy that He has, He makes us alive in Christ. And so we go on, John chapter 6, verse 44 No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. What this means, it goes in, 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 in parallel and in correlation, it's connected to Ephesians. You're spiritually dead, you can't do anything on your own. And guess who does the work? It's God through Jesus. He's the one through the power of his Holy Spirit that takes this dead heart that we have without Christ and begins to work and turn and regenerate and bring that heart to life. He draws us in. He is the one who initiates and helps and leads and guides and transforms one's heart into a true saving relationship with Jesus. It's nothing that you and I do. We don't do it. God does it. The Holy Spirit does it. I don't know if you remember when you came to Christ, if you are a Christian, that feeling that you felt, that tugging at your heart, that, 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 that sweatiness in your palms, that pounding heart, man, like that's the Holy Spirit. That's what it was. He was drawing you. He's convicting you. He's bringing that dead heart to life and he was drawing you to himself. And then we respond. We accept Jesus as our Savior because we understand we're desperate. We need him. We have to have him because we're dead. We're separated from God forever without him. And our hearts regenerated. We surrender our lives over. We make Jesus the Lord of our life. And guess what happens after that? 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. You're alive. You're new because of the work of God not because of you, not because of you. And you have to understand the way salvation takes place to understand what James is trying to say. And if I could just wrap all of that bad doctrine up and get rid of it and tell you good doctrine, let me just wrap up what I just said in a quick little phrase here. You cannot save yourself. You can't. God does all the work to regenerate your heart and turn you into a new creation, a new person, and because of that, we live in that. So we got to understand that doctrine first, okay? We good? Here's doctrine number two, bad doctrine number two that we need to understand because they go together. Bad doctrine number two is that good works will save you. Good works will save you. You say, all right, well, we already understood and realized how salvation takes place from the last doctrine we just looked at. And it does nothing. It's connected to nothing. This plays no part in it. Our good works is about us. Salvation is about Him. It. He's the one that does the work. He's the good worker, not us. And so many people believe and live off of this bad doctrine right here. In my life, I've I've been to quite a few funerals, as I'm sure you have as well, and I've had the honor of of, of of honoring someone's life and celebrating their life, while, by officiating uh, quite a few services as well, and I'm going to tell you the hardest funeral. I, I, is a, I could meet the complete stranger and, and go to his funeral or her funeral, and I will cry. All right, I'm an emotional dude. Like I, I, funerals, just I don't know why they just they just get to me. But one of the hardest ones I've ever uh, been to, and I had to officiate it, was that of a young man who, uh, well, I say young, he was in his 50s, young enough to, to die, but are uh, too young to die, I guess is what I mean. Um, and I knew he wasn't saved. And I had to honor and officiate and celebrate his life. Um, and it was challenging. It was hard. And I remember meeting with the family, trying to learn more about him. I knew him, uh, but on a kind of, uh, uh, you know, not a shallow level, but we weren't best friends by any means. And I remember talking to his girlfriend and uh, I said, hey, tell me a little bit more uh, about George. And uh, she said, man, George was just such a good guy. He was a good person. He volunteered here and he would help here and he would do this here. And man, George would give you the shirt off his back. Man, he was such a good person. And I'm just listening to all this. And I said, well, did George ever accept Jesus as his savior? She said, well, George is, man, George wasn't really a religious person. He, he just wasn't into all that. But man, he was a good person. And my heart just sunk. Because I knew that she believed that because of, he, he, because of him being a good person, because of the good works that he did, that he was going to be in heaven one day or then. <laughs> and she was going to see him again one day. And I, and I was just so heartbroken and I was able to share the gospel um, at, at the service. But good works doesn't save you. And so many people, we, we live off of that. That's why I set it up at the beginning saying, look, I could just pound on this all day long about, hey, faith without works is dead. You got to have works. You got to have works. You got to have works. And what's going to happen is I'm going to lead you, if I would do that, to believe this. Good works doesn't save you. There is nothing that we can do on our own in regards to the way that we work, this level of perfection, this standard that we live at, this measure that we set that will save us. It's only by the power of God. But here's where this doctrine comes from, the bad doctrine. It comes from a verse that we actually have already read, James chapter 2, verse 24. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. Justified means being made right with God. And James says it clearly. You're not justified by faith alone. You're justified by works. I'm kind of confused, right? Like, this is why I say you can't build doctrine off of one verse. And this is what people do. They take this one verse and they say, James is telling you that your good works are going to save you. It's not just faith. And it gets twisted, But we have to look at the whole context of Scripture. We have to look at more verses. If we were to go back to Ephesians, let's look at that one again. We're going to keep going a few verses that we haven't seen, verses 8 and 9. He says, Paul says, for by grace you have been saved through what? Through good works. No, through faith. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It's not your good works. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. So James is like, what's that verse saying? And I'm gonna explain it. And now Paul is saying, hey, hold on, what's going on here? No, no, no. You, you have been saved by grace through faith, not a result of your works. And then we see another passage in the gospel of Matthew that talks more about works, Matthew 7, 21 through 23. And I'm gonna tell you, if I had to list in, in all of Scripture, this might be my number one, at least top three scariest verses in or passages in the Bible. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? Didn't we do all of these things as good works and we did it in the name of Jesus and everybody saw it and everybody was seeing us and everything on the outside looked as if we were bearing fruit that came from you. And then this is the scary part. Then I would declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness he said i never knew you everything you're doing on the outside was based off of good works it was based off of what you looked like on the outside i never knew you on the inside which means what you do on the outside doesn't necessarily matter in regards to how you're saved because you can't save yourself you can't reach a level of perfection you can't reach a level you can't do enough to get to salvation on the outside because god is the one who does it on the inside Good works does not save you. And we live this life so often. If you think about, we look at our lives and we say, oh man, I need to be a better person. I need to do this. I wish I did that. I wish I saw people like that. I wish I treated people like that. And And we look, everything is on the outside. And if the inside has not been regenerated, has not been saved. Everything you do on the outside, according to the Bible, in regards to holiness and righteousness and justification and being right before God, all of that is in vain. I'm not saying that good works by itself don't have positive benefits, right? You go and, and, and buy a hotel room and feed a homeless man and let him get a shower and sleep in the bed, but you're not, a, you're not saved. You think they care? They appreciate it. They just got benefited from it. I'm not saying that. But what I'm saying is that good works doesn't mean we're saved. So what does this passage mean? What does any of this mean? Well, let me share bad doctrine number three right quick. And we've already talked about it a little bit. Because Paul is is writing in Ephesians. He's sharing some things. But let me share this. And maybe you've never heard this before. If you study the Bible in, in, in time, you will. Paul and James contradict each other. That's bad doctrine number three. People will say this all the time. Well, which one's right? Paul says this, James says this, they, they contradict each other. Therefore, I can't trust anything in the Bible because we got, we got two different letters and two different things, two different writers who are saying something totally different. No, no, that's bad doctrine. And I'm gonna show you where it comes from, all right? Romans chapter three, verse 28. It says, for we hold, this is Paul, for we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. So Paul is saying, we hold that we are made right, we are made right before God by faith, not connected to works. And then James, which we already looked at, he says, you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. Which one is right? Which one do I believe? The answer is both. Good doctrine is both. You say, well, how can you say that? Well, let me just briefly give you a little context of both of them. Paul, he he wrote the the book of Romans, the letter of Romans, for for multiple reasons. But one of those main reasons was he was focusing on the relationship between Jews and Gentiles. Gentile was a non-Jewish person, and a lot of the Jews didn't believe the gospel was for them. And what was happening was the Jews were getting so wrapped up and so focused and so locked in on the Jewish law that they believed because Gentiles weren't Jewish, they couldn't carry it out, and therefore they couldn't get saved. And so one of Paul's main focuses is saying, you can, I could care less about all of this law stuff. And then he, he writes Galatians, and that's a whole different letter about the book of law, about all the law and how to carry it out. Paul said, no, no, it's not about law, it's not about rules, it's not about any of that in regards to salvation. The law doesn't save you. Jesus saves you. The power of the Holy Spirit regenerating your heart saves you. And so so he's focusing on this relationship between him. He's saying, stop all this nonsense. I need you to understand you're justified. You're made right before God by faith because of the work of Jesus on a cross. And it's for everyone. And then James, we talked about this a few weeks ago, the context of it. Is 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 they most scholars and, and theologians believe it was one of the earliest, if not the earliest, letter written in the New Testament, and 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 many believe that Gentiles weren't necessarily even in the picture then in regards to to the gospel going to them, and so James isn't focused on on the law and the separation between different people. James is focused on if you call yourself a believer. People better know it by the way that you live your life. Faith without works is dead. There's no such thing as a true saving faith without works. I like to say it this way. How we live reveals what we believe. How we live reveals what we believe. And I think that if we truly believe that we've been given the best gift ever, not by what we've done, not by anything we could do, but by the power of the Holy Spirit working in our dead, sinful, fleshly hearts, regenerating it, making us into a new creation. If we believe that, it's revealed in the way we live our lives. And this is what James is saying. He said, you can't tell me you have faith and nothing has changed about your life. You can't tell me that you have been made new, that something has been done for you that you can never do on your own and nothing in your life has changed. There is no such thing. There's no such thing. And here's what James is trying to say, I believe. He's not focusing necessarily just on works or is he separating works and faith. He's bringing them together. And what he's saying is good works don't lead us to salvation. Good works is a result of our salvation. He said, when you understand what has taken place and how salvation happens and what's been done for you, and you've... Been made into a new person. The old is gone. The dead is gone. The old Brian, the sinful Brian, the one who's living for the the flesh and following the desires of the world and being led into disobedience by the prince of the power of the air. When that is gone and the new comes up, this is baptism, that's symbolic, that's what we do, we bury the old, we bring up the new. When the new person comes up and they understand they've been made alive by Christ, the result is good works come out of that. Good works come out of that. And as I think about what this text means for us and how we bring all of this together, there's there's a few things that come to mind as we as we wrap up and close. The first one is is a challenge to to look at your life. And when I say look at your life, I'm not saying focus so much on the outside that you neglect the inside. But what I'm saying is as you look at your life, look at what's on the outside to determine if anything has been done on the inside i i sometimes struggle with with what i'm about to say because part of me feels like it's not my place to judge or or to lead someone to believe that they're not saved or to judge if you truly are saved just because of the way you look on the outside because I know that we're just because we've been made alive in Christ, we made new, we're still sinners. We still mess up. We still do things that go against God. We still do things that aren't pleasing and honoring to him. We still backslide. Just because we're made new and alive in Christ doesn't mean we're perfect. We're made alive by the one who is perfect. But as a pastor, as a leader, especially yours, I think I'd be negligent if I didn't challenge you for a moment and just say, what does your life look like on the outside? Because there's no such thing as being made new, alive in Christ, and nothing changing. And if you say that you got saved, oh, I got saved March 28th and 2018 and you look at your life now and it looks just like it did March the 1st of 2018 maybe it was an emotional response maybe it was just an empty prayer that you prayed because you were challenged in a sermon and so you raised your hand up and bowed your head when the pastor asked you to I'm not saying those those aren't methods for giving someone an opportunity to respond if you prayed that prayer because the Holy Spirit was regenerating your heart, then yeah, absolutely. But I believe one of the most dangerous places you could be is thinking that you're saved and you're not. And according to Scripture, one of the most measurable ways to assess that is to look at the fruit in your life. Again, sometimes I go through seasons where, bro, the fruit is just fallen off because there's so much. And other times... It feels like everybody and their brothers come and picked it all off, and there ain't but a couple left. But there's still fruit. What does your life look like? What, what, what happens when we come and we're made new? Everything changes. Everything. We're a new person. And the works that come out of that. And so, what James is saying, he's saying good works and faith. They go together. They can't be separated because faith is the root that births works. Faith is the core. Works is the fruit. What does your life look like? Do you have faith without action? Faith without works? Do you have a bare tree? Like What, what do you have? You say, well, what do I do? How do I get better at this? How, 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 can, I, how can I bear fruit? How can I take works and complement my faith? I believe some of it is natural. It has to be. It's a byproduct. Again, the, the apple branches don't tell the roots, grow apples. It, it happens. It comes out. But that doesn't mean that it doesn't take intentionality and discipline and hard work. Why? Because we're fleshly sinful people and we'll instantly and consistently want to follow flesh because it feels good and it's nice and it's pleasurable, but it's temporary and it won't bear the fruit. So so I'm not saying that we just sit back and do nothing and all of a sudden the fruit's going to come out. We have to be intentional. But by nature, by basic logic, if you're made new and alive in Christ, fruit comes out. I'll say this, if I could challenge you, wrap it all up into one thing. Don't focus on your works. Don't focus on your faith. Focus on Jesus. Don't focus on your works. Don't focus on your faith. Just focus on Jesus. He's the core of it all. He's the one who made you alive. He's the one that paid the price. And if you will focus on him, your faith will grow. Your faith will mature. Your faith will be tested. Your faith will be full grown. And then when that happens, the fruit comes out of that but we can't get so outwardly focused that we neglect the inside, which is Jesus himself. I remember, I'll close with this story. I, I, I remember struggling so bad in my life because I thought I was saved, but yet I just kept wrestling with things. And everything in my life, there were some good works, but most of it was bad fruit. I remember my back porch one night, and you've heard this story. If you know my story, me and God were just having a face-to-face conversation, it felt like. And I said, okay, God, you want my life? Here it is. You can have it. Do something with it, please. I'll give everything to you. And I woke up the next day, and I opened my Bible for the first time in years. And I said, God, how, how did I get here? I need you to show me something. I need you to teach me something in your Word. How did I get to this place in my life? where I had this foundation built by my parents. I was in church. I knew all the right things. I knew all the Sunday school answers. My reputation was pretty good on the outside. Like, all, how did I get to where all of this is on the outside, but on the inside, I'm so empty? And he led me to my, my life verse, my life passage. In John 15, he says, I'm the vine you are the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Remain in me. Any branch that, that doesn't bear fruit is cut off and thrown into the fire. And what he was, what, he, what, what this passage is saying, the Gospel of John, he's saying, look, if you want to bear fruit, you've got to stay connected to the vine. You've got to focus on Jesus. The works is a vine. The fruit is a vine. I mean, a branch. The faith is a, is a branch. Jesus is the core, it's the root of all of it. And so I started studying and learning and leaning in on him I started focusing on Jesus, reading scripture, learning more about him, learning more of his Christ-likeness, learning more about his life so that I could look and see how to apply it to my life and and pulling all of this together. And all of a sudden, fruit started coming up because things changed on the inside. I wasn't just focused on what I looked like on the outside. There's no such thing as a true saving faith that doesn't lead to transformation in your life. There's no such thing as James says... Is faith without works. So, where are you at today? What's your life look like? What's your fruit look like? What do you look like on the outside because of what's in the inside? Let's not live a life that doesn't represent Christ, especially if we call ourselves a follower of Christ. Let's do better, church. Not on our own work, because of the power of Jesus Christ. Let's not walk around here saying oh yeah I belong to Jesus I'm a Christian and yet look just like the world faith without works is dead there's no such thing as saving faith without good works church I I love you I'm proud to be your pastor I'm honored to be your pastor and I got work to do myself and I'm sure you do as well let's focus on Jesus let's grow together let's sharpen each other so that you see the fruit coming out of our lives. I can't wait to see where we're going as a church, to see all that God is going to do, but it starts with you. It starts with you, not just from a church perspective. If you're looking at it from a building or an organization, but because you are a child of God. Let's bear the fruit that he's called us to bear by being rooted and connected to the vine of Jesus Christ. Can I pray for you? Father, we love you. We thank you for this time that we have together. God, I ask that you, you be with us, you help us, you guide us, you lead us. Lord, I ask that you would make it very clear to us the things that we need to focus on. God, I ask that you would work in our hearts. I ask that if there's somebody listening today who maybe is uh, being convicted, maybe we reveal to them that the reason they don't have fruit on the outside is because they've never been saved by you on the inside. Transform our hearts. Draw those people to you right now and allow them to respond to you, to admit they're a sinner in desperate need of a Savior who needs you. And they surrender their life to you right now. God, I pray that you would help each of us stay focused on you, not on the outside, but on the inside, from spending time with you in prayer and in your word and in communion with other people and being connected to a local body. Lord, to be built up, to represent you in all of the world, to be the light that you've called us to be in this dark, dark world. God, we love you. We thank you for our time together. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Hey, I love you guys. Can't wait to see you soon. And I hope you have a great day. Cowboys aren't gonna lose today because we gotta buy. I'll see you.